Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. We help visionary business leaders to grow their companies through attracting and retaining top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and chili business partner, Al McDonald. Al, what do you say? How's your day going? Well, it's going well right now, but after this, we're going to be moving some snow. <laughs> <laughs> so something that you don't have to experience right now, but we're still uh, hopefully the last big snowstorm of the winter. My ring doorbell went off at uh, 4.40 this morning, and I was quite happy to see my snowplow guy doing the driveway. So uh, <laughs> that uh, that was my happy for the day. Although I wish maybe I should have turned off my uh, notification at 4.40 because, of course, I couldn't go back to sleep after that. But nevertheless, happy Friday to you, Al. Happy Podcast Friday. As you know, this is one of, one of my favorite times of the month. Uh, we get to talk to awesome people. Today's guest is kind of cool how uh, how I met a uh, little bit of a YouTube star and at the time was doing something else, but is doing something really interesting now. And uh, we're excited to, to chat with her. Today's guest is Christy Holden, who is a fractional CMO, chief marketing officer, for those of you who don't know what a CMO is, and consultant who is empowering female-led startups to take up space in the market. Welcome to the show, Christy. Thanks so much for having me. I did a little chuckle when you said a little bit of a YouTube star. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, that's that's how I found you, right? Like I, I found the videos and the videos were fantastic. Maybe we'll give a clue of, as to what we're talking about because people should definitely check them out. They're super helpful in our firm. So, and it's why we become a, a big fan of Christy. But, you know, I think that's a really great place to start off this episode. In the intro, we talked about helping uh, tech startups, especially in the female uh, space. So why are you so passionate about helping early stage startups? And, and again, specifically female-led startups. I mean, I don't have a great answer for why I'm passionate about helping early stage tech startups. I think other than it's more of an emotional one, it's really fun. I really love working with founders of early stage tech startups because they're scrappy and there's a lot to kind of figure out. And it's just, it's a lot of really fun challenges. And then recently I've kind of been pivoting my business to focus a little bit more on female led tech startups, just because there's so few female led tech startups that get funding. And it's such a small percentage of venture capital dollars that go to female led startups. So that's something that I just the more that I kind of learned about it in the space, I started to feel more and more that this is something that I really care about helping kind of move the needle on and just helping to kind of close that gender gap in venture capital funding. You know, you talk about it's fun to get in, involved with startups and create something and, and, you know, they're scrappy. And for us, the ARIA brand on the ARIA benefits side, like we created Life and Legacy, that brand back in 2005 and ARIA is a much newer brand. So I can kind of relate because there's almost fun in the chaos, 
right? Like you're creating something, (laughs) it's brand new. And, you know, Christy, I was sitting there the other day and I was going back through, you know, my book, my, I keep all my books that I've written in. I'm, I'm going to remarkable soon. And I'm not, I'm not sure how that's going to go because I like to be able to flip back through things that I've written, you know, three or four years ago. And I was, I was going back to the Aria brand and what's cool about it is, and and maybe you can relate to this in, in the tech startup, something that started out of someone's imagination actually becomes something real, right? Like all of a sudden you've got staff and all of a sudden you've got customers and all of a sudden the brand is out there. So for me, that's always exciting. And again, there's this chaos. And I think it's, there's a little bit of fun in that unknown, right? You, you've yeah. got these challenges in front of you and, you and you don't know where it leads. Like, do you relate to any of that? A hundred percent. Like the fun part, especially in the early stages is you get to experiment and pivot a lot faster as you're getting those indicators of what's working and what's not working versus once you're in an established corporation, things move a lot slower and it's a lot harder to to drive change. So when you're still in that early stages, like you could make a decision and start changing that tomorrow if you're getting an indicator that, hey, this is really what customers want or what's needed in the market. So I think that's what's really fun and exciting. Yeah, totally. And I, and I relate to that too. Like on the Aria side, when, when the pandemic hit, I mean, and I got feedback from some of our suppliers that we actually did quite well because to your point, I mean, we were small, we were nimble, we were new for Aria. So going to a remote first company was actually very successful for us. So I think you're right. I think that's the exciting part, but way we're going way back in my career. I worked for those large companies and they've certainly got their own advantages but everything happens a lot slower. Hey, Christy, can you talk a little bit about, and you already mentioned one thing, you mentioned the early stage startups and they just don't get as much money, but what are some of the challenges you see startups having? And maybe you can talk a little bit about too, so maybe a little bit of a two-part question, some of the challenges, but also some of the mistakes that you see uh, some of these startups making when it comes to digital marketing. Yeah, great question. So I think in terms of challenges, they go hand in hand with the mistakes. So when you're an early stage startup, the challenge is you're still figuring out what is your product and service. Typically how it works is, you know, someone has an idea, they see a problem in the market, they start building a product, and then that product or service is evolving as you're realizing what people are actually needing. And One of the mistakes or some of the mistakes that tend to happen is as you're going through that process of figuring out, like, where does this product or service fit in the market? Who should I be targeting? How do I get in front of them? There's a lot of experimentation that happens. And the mistakes that I tend to see, there's kind of some themes or kind of threads or commonalities and mistakes. And it's really around targeting the right person like the right person within the right company, having the right message and showing up in the right place. So using the right channels. And it sounds really simple because those are the only three things you have to get right in marketing, but it's very difficult to do that. And so the mistakes that I see startups making is they try too many different marketing strategies or too many different channels. They try to show up on too many different social media channels. They're trying to do, you know, SEO and maybe they're not at that stage yet. So too many things are spread too thin. They don't give enough time to make something work because it takes a lot of time and experimentation to kind of tweak things. And then the biggest thing is in terms of the messaging, making the message about them and the product instead of making it about the customer and the problem that you're solving for them. Those are kind of the biggest themes and kind of buckets of mistakes that I see 
companies making. You talked about trying to be on too many channels. How would you help someone say, you know what, you don't need this, you don't need that. Focus on these one or two things. Like, how would you go about that? Or how would companies decide these are the two things I want to focus on? Great question. So it all starts with asking your customers and involving your customers. Because one thing that I see companies do, and I've made all these mistakes myself. That's why I can relate to them because I've made them. When you have an idea to start a marketing campaign or invest in a channel, you need to validate first, is my ideal customer in that space and open and receptive to our product and service when they're on that channel? So I always recommend to clients, start by interviewing your best clients and ask them, what are the pain points that they realized they had when they had that first thought that maybe they need the type of service or product that you offer? And what were they doing around that time? Were they going and asking their friends? Were they going to conferences? Were they looking for stuff on Instagram and kind of following thought leaders? Were they going to Google and typing in certain things? Because that's what tells you what you need to focus on in your marketing is understanding what is that journey that your ideal customer goes through when they realize they have that problem. And that's where the key is of, okay, here's where it makes most sense to focus on with your marketing. When you're talking about trying to focus on too many things, and Al asked you that question, I, I think he was talking about getting me an answer because Al knows my personality and I, and I will come and, and especially when I've, when I've been on a trip, I will come back with you know, 10 new ideas. And, yeah, uh, and you and, want to and implement all of them. Christy, all <laughs> I, want, I want them all done at once. And thank goodness we do have another partner who's not part of the show, but, and the three of us have meshed very well uh, since 2005, but I'm the guy who's coming with idea after idea after idea. And I think they're all the best idea in the world. And I want to do them all at once. And thank goodness I've got partners who would sit down and say, okay, this one is great. Actually, they're all really good, but we can't do them all at once. Let's focus. And I, that's really hard for a creative person to do is say, just mm-hmm. let's just focus on one. And to your point, you've got to give those enough time because again, I've got that personality when I want to try something. And if I don't see immediate results, oh, let's try the next one and let's try the next one. So I think you're right. Either you've got very supportive people around you to kind of hone you in and bring you or working with someone like you who has that expertise to say, let's focus on this. Let's give it enough time to make sure it works because again, People like myself will just come with idea after idea after idea. And then the other thing I want to just uh, maybe get your commentary on about making mistakes. Let's face it, as an entrepreneur, you are going to make mistakes. Not everything Mm -hmm. is going to work. Uh, You know, I just talked Mm -hmm. about all the ideas I've had. Some have worked really well. Some have not worked out at, at all. But I was at a conference one time and Michelle Romano, most people will know that in the tech space in Toronto, very, very good speaker, very successful uh, entrepreneur. I heard her say a quote, and I believe it was along the lines of make reversible decisions quickly. Mm -hmm. And ever since I heard that, I thought that is a fantastic way for a business owner or an entrepreneur to move forward. Because as long as something is reversible or fairly easily reversible, then let's make that decision and and try that out. And if it doesn't work, okay, we can reverse it and and go back. Is that something that you would recommend to other business leaders or is that something you disagree with? Yeah, definitely. And that was a similar kind of concept that we use when I was at Market Circle for making decisions, except we framed it as, is this a one-way door decision or a two-way door decision? 
And if it's a one-way door decision, let's slow down and really think it through before we decide. And if it's a two-way door decision, meaning we can come back from it, let's just make a decision, try it, and then see how it works. I think what tends to happen, though, and where entrepreneurs tend to get in trouble with this is making too many quick decisions too quickly. So you'll make a decision about something and say, let's try this. And then like within a week, if it's not working, changing and trying something else, like depending on what marketing tactic or strategy you're trying, typically it takes about three to six months to see if it's actually working or not. And it takes so much patience to go through that three to six months before you see, okay, is this working or not? And I fall into this trap all the time myself. I like to do a lot of things. I like having multiple projects on the go. I have a lot of ideas. So that's why it's really helpful to have an outside perspective that you can kind of bounce around ideas from and get guidance on, hey, am I doing too much or help you focus on what to, what to focus on? Because it's really hard. You just said some things there that it's some great feedback for us. So Robin, when I asked that question before, I actually wasn't thinking about your ideas and the many that you bring to the table, but I was thinking about what we've tried in our business and some of the marketing ideas. And, and it's interesting you said about the three to six months, Christy, because we've been doing some of these things for probably that time frame, maybe a little bit longer. And I think just now we are starting to see some of those channels that have really not done a whole lot. And then other things that have actually been really, really successful and that we've gotten a lot of good feedback on. So that's kind of where that question came from. And I'm glad you added that time frame in there because that's kind of what we're seeing, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, depending on the channel, I mean, if you look at SEO, so search engine optimization and content strategy. So if you're writing blogs and, you know, optimizing your website to try to rank first on Google, that strategy is going to take you at least 12 months and probably 18 months until you start to see the actual revenue come out of it. So with like certain things, you can start to see, you know, indicators maybe three months in, but typically, yeah, it's like six months until you can actually evaluate, is this working? And there's little tweaks that you're going to want to make in between that three to six months. But yeah, that's what's so difficult because when we have so many ideas and we want to try them all, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to have to invest in this one idea and hope that it works. But I think one of the things that I've learned through my career of making a ton of mistakes is it's not necessarily the strategy or the channel that ends up being wrong. It's just not sticking with it long enough or not making the right tweaks to make it work. Because I talked to so many founders that say, oh, well, I tried SEO and I tried blogging, that didn't work. Or I tried outbound cold outreach, that didn't work. Or I tried podcasting and it didn't work. And then I'll ask them a bunch of questions to find out, well, what were you doing and how long did you stick with it for? And what were the tweaks you were making during that time? And what was the research you did before making that decision? And it always comes back to they didn't give it enough time and there wasn't enough research up front to make the strategy work. That's kind of what I tend to see. Yeah, that makes total sense. Can we dive a little bit into, because this one's a really selfish question, because I'm always interested in the, <laughs> the answer to this as well. But how can companies stand out and, and, and cut through all the noise? Because especially with social media, link, I mean, anywhere you look, right? There's tons of noise. To me, it's become more and more difficult to really stand out. So what would you tell entrepreneurs out there, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, us, um, you know, what, <laughs> what the best way to stand out is? 
Yeah, I think that comes down to, again, talking to your ideal customers and finding out why did they choose your company, your service, your product, whatever it is, over competitors? And what were the competitors that they evaluated? And that's always where the gold is. And typically it comes down to there's like if you interview five to 10 of your best customers, ideally you can do this with 10 to 20. You'll find that there typically is like three main trends or features or differences that stood out to them for why they chose your company versus competitors. And you want to focus all your marketing efforts on touting those three things that make you really special and different. And maybe it's just one thing. Maybe it's one core difference that you have that competitors don't have. But finding out how to kind of position that and what to talk about really comes down to getting super specific on who your ideal customer is. Because there's so many competitors, no matter what industry you're in, there's going to be so many competitors. Like it can be a negative, but it can also be a great thing because it means that there's so much choice and there's so many different companies and people in your space looking for a solution. So it's just about aligning what are the things that are unique to your offering that a specific pocket or segment of the market really cares about and focus your attention on talking about those things. It's really interesting. First of all, that's that's a great idea. And it's one Al we'll talk about offline in our partner meetings. But it's funny for years we were servicing clients and we'd never ask for referrals. And yeah. you're almost afraid, like, oh, you don't want to impose on them. And then I remember I finally worked up the nerve to ask a client. And they were so happy. Oh, yeah, I'm going to introduce you to this person. And I came back to the partners and I said, why haven't we, we been doing this all these years? If, <laughs> if you do a good job for someone, they want to help you. So yeah. you know, going back to them, and, and again, I hadn't thought of that. I'm glad we chatted about this. But going back to them, I would imagine that people will tell you, here's why I chose you. Here's where you can do better. Here's maybe some of the things I don't like. And they, you know, and they're not, they still like you, but I think that would be a really valuable lesson. And to your point, I mean, starting with five is great, but if you could do 15 or 20, you'll probably get a real good sense. And I think, like you said, Christy, there'll be a theme there of a couple of things that here's why we chose you. And then mm-hmm. that's, that certainly makes life easier in terms of a good saying, okay, let's go forward and focus on these things. Cause obviously people like this about us. So I think that's really solid advice. Yeah. And and I think this is kind of where we overcomplicate things. Like we think we have to come up with all the ideas and all the answers ourselves when really the answers are in talking to your customers because they'll tell you why they chose you over competitors. They'll tell you the search terms that they were typing into Google. And then that's how you remove a lot of the guesswork. I always tell my clients, a lot of them will come to me saying, you know, we have some customers and we're getting some people to our website, but they keep telling us they don't understand what we are. They don't understand what the product is or they don't understand what we do. And so I say, well, instead of just sitting down and writing the copy for your homepage or for an ad from scratch, you always want to start with removing the guesswork by asking your customers. And so I take my clients through this process of interviewing their customers. Sometimes I interview their customers. Sometimes they do it. And I listen to the recordings. And then we have a a framework and a kind of formula for finding those common trends and insights. And then we use that to write the copy. And it's so easy and quick once you have all that information, because then your clients are writing your copy for you. You're not having to come up with your own ideas and say, oh, will this work? You know, will positioning it this way work? Because you already know what works and what doesn't. So that's a way to remove the guesswork and just get to 
the end result and get to increasing revenue a lot faster. Christy, so I do have a, a little bit of a selfish question for you then. And for um, <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, because you're on it right now with us, we've been using this podcast and it's for us, it's been a great marketing tool to build our brand. And certainly Robin talks about how it's really helped him build the RE brand, but it's really been another tool in our toolbox to help build our brand. So I would love to hear your thoughts on using a podcast to grow your brand. Feel free to give us the good, the bad, the ugly. It won't hurt our feelings. Just what are your thoughts on using podcasts to build your brand? That question is kind of multifaceted question, but overall, I think using a podcast to build your brand can be an amazing tool because like people buy from companies that they know, like, and trust. And so by having a podcast, people get to know you, they know your personality, they start to understand the brand, they feel more comfortable with you. So that can really work in your favor. Like we even found this before starting my business when I was at Market Circle and we had the daylight YouTube channel, I would get people coming to me and say, you know, I I feel like I already know you because I've seen these videos. And I started getting clients when I started my business that had seen me on those daylight YouTube videos. And they said, yeah, I remember watching a video and, and I got the sense that you really understood what you were talking about. So it made me trust you and feel more confident in reaching out. So there's that whole idea of just building trust and confidence is really powerful. But there is a bit of a caveat. One of the challenges that can kind of happen is when you're in the early stages, I wouldn't recommend using a podcast to grow your brand. I would recommend using other people's platforms to grow your brand. And then once you have a base of customers and you're trying to expand your brand, then it's a great time because you're building your own brand. What I see happen a lot, and this is not just within the tech space, but even talking to other consultants and coaches that I have in my network is they'll only have a couple of clients and then they think, oh, I need to start a podcast to build my brand, but no one really knows who they are. And so they're putting all this energy and effort into building their own podcast, but it can take years until you start to see the impact of that and you've you've built up a following. So I recommend to them, well, go leverage other people's networks, like write a guest post on someone else's blog before you start building your own blog, or go talk on someone else's podcast and talk on 200 different podcasts to get your brand out there. And then once you have a base, then build your own podcast and your own brand. Yeah, that makes sense. And Robin, you can jump in here too. But I I think we've seen that just in our own experience with these podcasts, exactly what you said, probably started out a little bit slowly, but then built pretty quickly and spread. And now I think, well, we've got, uh, we've got a lot of listeners. So what what are your thoughts on that, Robin? Yeah, it it was interesting what Christy was saying about the YouTube video, because when I reached out to Christy, she was the first person at Market Circle that I reached out to. I almost felt that we already had a relationship because I had watched five videos and I knew who Christy was and I knew who Mike was, or at least I felt that I did. And of course, when I chatted Mm -hmm. with them, that's who I met. Right. Like, so, and, (laughs) and that much easier. And although we're not on YouTube, I mean, our, our podcast is audio only. I'm starting, I would say probably a couple of months ago, I've had people starting to say, once I talk to them for the first time, I feel like I know you, I've listened to you and Al on the podcast so many times. And although they can't see us, they get a really good sense of our personality, you know, who we are, what we're all about, sort of thing. For us, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. I, I started the podcast alone when I didn't know what I was doing. Al joined me when we created the Aria brand. And again, for us, it's been a great marketing tool. It's got us into networks that, you know, might have taken us longer or we might not have gotten us into. But I totally agree with you. When you're unknown, 
that's going to be really difficult to build up that audience. And, and I think we go back to all the ideas, right, Christy? This is one that I've stayed consistent with. I mean, we were there out consistently. And I think that's part of why we're seeing success with that. So really interesting to hear your commentary. I think that's solid advice. I think that's a great spot to wrap it up. Did you have anything to add before I uh, do the wrap up here, Christy? Just to what you were saying of you know, being consistent with it. I think with anything that you're going to try within marketing and to build your brand, you have to believe that it's going to work and you have to have that conviction and really want to see it succeed and enjoy doing it. Like if you don't enjoy talking on podcasts, don't think that you have to use that to build your brand. But if you love it, do it because you enjoy doing it because you're going to be spending so much time doing it. You better enjoy it. Absolutely. And I hope people can tell that we love it here. We're going to keep doing them. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks for sharing your story. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at your firm? So they can check out my website. It's christieholden.com, K-R-I-S-T-I-E-H-O-L-D-E-N.com or check me out on LinkedIn. That's the main channel that I'm active on as well as Instagram. All right, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends. And remember, it all starts with one.